0: This morning I get the sermon, um, well, I can't say one of my favorites because most of them are my favorites, but I wanted to read it for you first. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me, up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or it says 70 times 7 Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him, since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children all be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, please be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. Before getting into the text, I always believe in going backwards just a little bit to see why Jesus said what he said, what position he was in, why he was making the point he was. It's kind of when you see therefore in the scriptures, you need to go back and see what the therefore is there for. Matthew's gospel, by the way, is a message re- revealing Jesus as king and not just for the Jews, but for everybody. Matthew Matthew develops this idea of Jesus being king in the first 10 chapters. In 11 through 13, we see rebellion against the king. In chapters 14 through 19, Jesus retreats with his disciples for further teaching, for intense teaching. If you remember in chapter 17, uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he was transformed before their eyes And they actually saw Jesus in glory. So now in 18, chapter 18, the disciples are going, okay, we know heaven is real. Who's going to be the greatest in heaven? So real a thought. I'm sure a few of us have thought the same thing. After they saw the revelation in 17 comes the teaching, excuse me, the the revelation in 17, yeah, the teaching in 18, Um, they saw that, They saw the real kingdom life. It is real. But now Jesus, the teaching he's going to be, after seeing that miracle, he's going to teach us about being human. You see, heaven, we're all excited to live above with saints we love, will be glory. To live here below with those we know, now that's a different story. How do we deal with relationships in this world? Here below with those we know. The disciples are asking, okay, heaven's real, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus brings a little child, I love this, into their midst, and he said, you have to become like a little child. You see, children are sincere. Sincere actually means without wax, in case you didn't know that. Um, Because potters back then would make a piece of pottery, and if it had a crack in it, they would melt a little bit of wax. And they would fill in the crack and send it. So it's not sincere. They would The person purchasing it would take it home, put something in it. As soon as it got hot, the wax melt, there was the crack, if not worse. So without wax, in other words, being sincere. Children are actually honest until they learn to be otherwise. I was actually shopping with one of my kids one day, and we were trying on clothes, and This lady comes out of the dressing room to look in the big mirror, and she's wearing a very bright yellow dress, which she was very large in size. And my daughter says very loudly, Mom, she looks just like our school bus. Yeah. Um, That's why I wouldn't teach my kids to speak till they were 18 if I had it to do all over again. Or on a school trip to a post office, You know, the post office has those pictures, the wanted, the most wanted people in America. And the guy doing the the tour tells the children, these are criminals. They're the most wanted people in the world, in the United States. And the little boy says, well, why didn't you keep them when you took their picture? Children are very authentic. They say honest things. You know, it's adults that say stupid things. This is actually reported in the Toronto Sun, and this is what people said to police officers to try to get out of a ticket. This actually came from the police reports too, by the way. The pedestrian hit me and went under my car. (laughs) In an attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. I had been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. I had been shopping all day for plants and was on my way home. When I reached the intersection, a hedge sprung up, obscuring my vision. I didn't see the other car. The pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran over him. I love this. The telephone pole was approaching fast. I was attempting to swerve out of its path when it struck the front end of my car. You guys getting ready to learn to drive, you can remember some of these. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. My car was legally parked as it backed into the other vehicle. An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my vehicle, and vanished. The indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. God wants us to be like children. He wants us sincere, kindness, childlike, not childish. And then Jesus, with his teaching, goes on into temptation, humility, and sin, and how the church is to deal with it, and especially with forgiveness. That's when Peter, now I love Peter. Peter is foot-in-the-mouth Peter. Peter says things that nobody else would say, and Peter says things that I wish sometimes I would say, but... There's Peter. You see, the rabbis always taught, you must forgive two, maybe three times. Maybe. Not four. And so, Peter is assuming that, you know, Jesus is very radical. So he goes up and he says, well, Master, should I forgive seven times? Thinking, wow, that's way over the top. And he must have been stunned by Jesus' response, who said, no, 70 times seven. Which really means infinity because we can't count and we're not supposed to be counting, which is the point. It really goes against our thinking nowadays. Our thinking is, don't get mad, get even. Or our thinking is, like Dirty Harry, go ahead, make my day. Then Jesus goes on with a parable. And as we know, I hope, uh, in the parable, of course, the king is God. The man owes 10,000 talents. I did the math. A talent is a weight of money that equals 6,000 denarii. A working man earned one day. This is a good math quiz for you guys. A working man earned one denarii per day. 6,000 days. Now, if you take 365 days, and I was generous. I took 52 days off for uh, uh, the Sabbath, assuming they take that day off. 313 days a year, people worked. If you divide 6,000 by that, it comes out to 19,000.169 years of working for 6,000 denarii. 20 years of working for one talent. This man owed 10,000 talents. It would have taken him 20 years for one. That is basically 200,000 years of working. I've heard commentators say he's owned millions and millions and possibly even a billion dollars. So reckoning day has come, he's not only criminally, criminally in debt, but he is completely bankrupt. And back then, debt meant slavery. Your family could be sold, your children could be sold, your property could be sold. Everything go towards paying that back. So why does Jesus use these astronomical figures? And I believe he's trying to make us understand how huge our debt was. What a huge debt we have for him forgiving our sin. Sin puts us in spiritual bankruptcy, an obligation we can never repay. This man faced failure, and he only could plead for time. He said, be patient, I'll pay everything back, which was totally, completely impossible. But the king took pity on him, and he cancels his debt and let him go. God's response, he takes pity because of his compassion. It's the character of the king, not the character of the man, that releases us from our debt. The reason for forgiveness is found in the forgiver, not the forgiven. The nature of forgiveness is release from debt by the payment of a price. So basically the king was giving him a really big gift like Jesus gives to us when he forgives us. A huge gift by forgiving us. I read a story once of a judge, a fictitious story for the reason of a purpose of a point, you'll see. Story of a young man is standing in court and he had accidentally killed somebody so he was being tried for murder even though it was an accident. And he's praying that the judge is going to go easy on him. And the judge gets ready to pronounce uh, judgment on him, and he clears his throat, and he says, Young man, I'm going to make an example of you. You are sentenced to 25 years. And so at that point, the boy collapses to his, his knees, and he doesn't know what to do. And then the judge does something totally unusual. He takes his robot. And he goes and he stands next to the boy and he looks at the sheriff who was going to take him away and said, take me, I will serve his sentence. That is the gospel. What we deserve, God stands in our place for. Jesus did that for us. But the rest of the story is the forgiven man is freed. And what does he do? The first thing he goes out and he grabs this guy by the throat and he starts shaking him and says, give me what you owe me which was about 100 denarii, or basically maybe 100 days work. And the guy repeats what the other one said. Please, please give me time. I, I will pay this back. And, I mean, come on, the guy doesn't need money, right? He just got forgiven 10,000 talents, for crying out loud. But it's interesting. The second man, after he falls on his knees and says the exact same thing, and he says, no, I'm not going to forgive you throw this man in prison, throw his family in prison, do whatever you want to do with him until he decides to pay me back. I never understood how if you throw someone in prison, they're going to pay you back, but... The opposite of forgiveness is punishment. He may have had the legal right to payment, but he certainly did not have a moral one after what had just been forgiven him. You see, when you choose forgiveness, you obligate yourself to practice forgiveness. And by the way, others seeing the man and what he had done and that the king had just um, granted him uh, clemency, basically forgave his debt, um, they immediately went back to tell the king what had happened. You know, if we're talking that, if we say we're a Christian, we're professing we're a Christian, don't think other people aren't watching you because they're watching you. They watch your actions. So if you're professing to be a Christian, you need to show that. The king heard what's happened, he's angry, and he turns him over to the jailers to be tortured until all is paid back. Okay, tortured is not a biblical term, but it is the Lord's word describing what they did back then because they figured if they tortured somebody, they could get any information out of them. Now, I want you to understand what this is not saying. This is not saying that believers might be unforgiven later, or eternally punished. That is not what this is saying. Not every detail in the parable has theological significance. The point here is dealing with the present, not the eternal. The consequences of an ungiving, ungiving, just washed my tongue and I can't do anything with it. The consequences of an unforgiving spirit, it's called a truism. I personally know, and I know, I have been in a prison of not forgiving someone. I do believe the four worst, language, four worst words in the English language is, I will never forgive you. You see, unforgiving people appear very small, not in stature. They're abrasive, they're restricted, they're uptight, angry, bitter, and harsh. You see, God tells us to forgive, not for them, but for you. That's the reason God tells us to forgive, and forgive from the heart. You are a people of forgiveness, and if you don't forgive, you will be in a prison. How in the world could this man ever pay back this money? And I know, you know, you could be thinking, I have thought, how do I get out of this prison? How do I forgive people? This man would never make a million or a billion dollars. And there was only one answer. He needed to go back to the king and ask forgiveness. You see, our master is compassionate. He will forgive again. After all, Jesus Jesus himself said, you must forgive over and over and over. So why would he do anything other than that? Author and speaker Brennan Manning tells the story of a woman who visited her priest. And she said, Father, you may not uh, believe this, but when I pray, I actually see Jesus like he's standing right there. And he speaks to me. He tells me how much he loves me and and wants to be with me. Do you think I'm crazy? And the priest said, no, I don't think you're crazy. But just to make sure it's Jesus, the next time he comes to you, ask him what what I asked forgiveness for in confession just yesterday. So it was a couple of days, and the woman finally comes back and and. The priest says, well, did you see him? She said, oh, yes, I saw him. And did you speak to him? And she said, oh, yes, I spoke to him. And did you ask him what I said in the confessional? And she said, I did. And the priest expectantly said, well, what did he say? And she said, he said, I forgot. You see, Jesus chooses to forget and that's even hard for us. We can forgive sometimes by forgetting, but Jesus chooses to forget, not because he has a bad memory, but because he chooses to forget. When you don't forgive, you suffer torment. The moment you hate someone or you carry a grudge, you become their slave. You spend every moment thinking, I should have done this. Darn, why didn't I say that? I'm going to get back at him by this. You never have peace. Your whole life is is anxiety because you're just continually thinking about what you should have done or what you can do. And I know some of you might be thinking, but you don't know what they've done to me. And you're right, I don't. But God does. But you have to realize by forgiving someone, it doesn't mean you're condoning what they did. They may really be wrong. They may be vile. It may be something horrible. But as long as you stay angry, and you stay mad, and you can't forgive, you're the one torn up. It's like my friend Jody said, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Is forgiving easy, especially when you've really been wronged? No, it's not. It's a process. You start praying. Every time that person comes to your mind or the event comes to your mind and you're angry and you're hurt, you start praying, God, please help me forgive this person. I know this is true because in my own life I had someone that was never nice to me. Um, It hurt over and over. And finally, I started asking God because I knew it's what God wanted me to do to help me forgive this person. Please help me forgive this person. And every time that person came to my mind, I started praying, God, help me to forgive this person. And you know, did the person change? No. Was I ever reconciled? No. But I changed and it was with God's help. And the barbs didn't seem as bad and I was able to take it with a smile and not retaliate and not even want to retaliate anymore out of this story, there are three things I want you to remember. The source of our forgiveness is God's forgiveness. We need to understand that the extent of our debt before a holy God can never be repaid. This mountain of sin that we have done, what we have carried, can never be repaid. Our sin caused Jesus to go to the cross and die for us. Refusal to forgive is costly. You see, There is an obstacle to faith, and that is unforgiveness. Mark 11.25 says, when you are praying, forgive. Faith and forgiveness are linked together. If you're not forgiving, your faith is short-circuited. And why are they linked? You know, faith is powerful. You have the faith to move mountains. Galatians 5.6 says, the only thing that counts in faith expressing itself through love. When we don't forgive, we're putting ourselves outside and above Christ's law of love. Faith works by love. And I certainly wouldn't want to see someone's faith carried out if they didn't love. If you didn't love somebody, what about that guy that just cut you off, you know? Hey Lord, get him! Give him a flat tire! (laughs) Faith is entrusted to those who love and forgive. Not forgiving, you cannot move in the arena of faith without love. Oftentimes, we try to justify our lack of forgiveness. If you only knew what that person did to me. And that may be true. But God tells us we must forgive, not for them, but for you. It may take a lot of prayers. Every time that person crosses your mind, I'm telling you, start praying. Say, you know, Lord, and and I have said it this way too, you know, Lord, I don't really mean this, but help me forgive that person because I know that's what you want me to do. And this is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation only happens when the other person recognizes the wrong and and tries to make it right or apologizes for it. Um, Forgiving also does not mean that you put yourself back into the same situation you were in Never put yourself in harm's way, ever. You can still forgive. You can forgive from your heart. It may be from a distance, but you can still forgive. I think what's so interesting is so many times we're mad at somebody or we've been hurt by somebody. They go on with their life like nothing's happened, and we're struggling. They don't even know you're mad at them half the time, or you're angry with them, or they don't care. That's why God tells us to forgive. You need to let go of that anger because when you are angry, they retain power over you. No matter what the wrong, no matter what the hurt. If you stay angry or mad at someone, they hold power over you. If you refuse forgiveness, it's destructive to us. It has choked many people and made them bitter and angry. You can see people that walk around with deep wrinkles on their face from Because inside, that's what they feel and it comes out. And it's really sad. Not only that, there's another part to this. Do you know you can't go on with your life as long as you're hanging on to the past? You can't go forward. I remember one time I was at camp with junior hires and we went on a high ropes course. Not one of the smartest things I've ever done. You are on, there's like 30 feet from a tree to a tree. Okay, tree to tree. And you're a rope. There's a rope going across with vertical ropes hanging down every so often. So you walk out on this rope. You're 30 feet in the air. You do have a harness on, but still you're wondering, how good is that guy that hooked my harness? And you are on this rope, and you are holding on one kinky little rope hanging there that's not stationary. It's moving. So you're moving like that, and and you have to reach another rope so you can get over. The catch is, you can't reach this rope till you let go of that rope. There is too much room between them. And so you have to take that leap at one point of reaching, and that one's not stationary either. Yeah. But what a perfect example. You cannot, cannot, Go on with your life and get what Jesus has for you until you let go of that rope. You have got to let go of the past. You have to let go of the past hurts and the failures and the people that have caused it. You've got to before you can grab and go for what Jesus really has for you. Because when you are so consumed with hanging on that, you cannot go forward with your life. Number three is the secret of forgiveness is grace. God's grace doesn't free us from responsibility. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It obligates us to grace on others. Grace to us has to be grace shown to others. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ Jesus forgave you. Forgiveness is a choice. Just like love is a choice. We all think that love is a feeling. No, love is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice, and forgiveness is the evidence that we have become new creatures in Christ and that he lives in us. And so this forces us to look at some really hard questions about relationships. Is there someone in your life you need to forgive? When you think of hurt, who is the first person you think of? Can you pick up the challenge and do what Jesus is asking you to do and say, Lord, help me to forgive them? I even say, can you help me to forget? That's not so easy and that's probably impossible in our minds, but at least help me forgive them. Help me to where I don't feel that horrible pain every time I think of that person. If you want to go on with your life, if you want to find all that Jesus really has for you, you need to do that. Is it easy? No. It's a long process. It doesn't happen overnight. It may take years of praying, but at least you know you're doing what Jesus is asking you to do. Even when you pray like I did that said, Lord, you, don't, you know I don't mean this, but help me to forgive that person. And he did. He will honor that.